welcome to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. This podcast is devoted to helping increase your daily exposure to God's Word with a short scripture reading and brief commentary on key ideas, themes, and theology in each chapter. Now please join your host, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Well, welcome back to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. My name is Dave. Today is January 4th, and we're going to read uh, Genesis 4. Just as a way of reminder, as I usually do, uh, I here on this podcast, I read one chapter each day, and then I offer an explanation of key ideas, themes, and theology very briefly. Uh, the goal is to get you in God's Word five to 20 minutes every day. So let's start reading Genesis 4 today. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. And now Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. And so Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were held in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when the, you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. And then the Lord said to me, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. And then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And when he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. And to Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujahel, and Mahujahel fathered Methusiel, and Methusiel fathered Lamech, and Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other Zillah. And Ada bore Jabal, and the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those who play the lyre and the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal Cain, and he was the forger of all instruments of bronze and stone. The sister of Tubal Cain was Nama. Lamech said to his wives, Adela and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventyfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. And to Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. 
So let's consider first the context of our text in Genesis 4. This chapter shows mankind plunging further into sin with Cain murdering his brothers and his descendant Lamech taking indiscriminate revenge. And although they've been expelled from the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve are enabled by God to have two sons. And with them rests the hope of an offspring who will overcome the serpent. And when Cain callously murders his righteous brother Abel's, evil seems to triumph. Any hope that Cain's descendants will reverse this trend appears remote when Lamech boasts of killing a man simply for striking him. And against this background, the brief announcement of Seth's birth to replace Abel, it offers fresh hope. Now, what we see in verse 1 of this chapter is Eve's reference to the Lord's help. When Cain is born, it conveys a sense of optimism. The serpent may yet be overthrown by the offspring of the woman. In verses 2 through 5, what we see is that although Cain and Abel have contrasting occupations and present different types of offerings to God, the present episode is not designed to elevate herdsmen over framers or animal offerings over plant offerings. One way to explain why God had regard for Abel is his offering, but not for Cain is to explain that Abel's offering, being of a firstborn of his flock, is a more costly offering expressed greater devotion. Another way to explain the differences is to uh, observe that they are both recognizable parts of the latter Levitical system. For Cain's offering of the fruit of the ground in verse 3 is seen in Deuteronomy 26.2, an offering expressed con- expressing consecration and or Abel's offering of the firstborn of his flock seen in Deuteronomy 15.19-23, a kind of peace offering, a meal in God's presence. But at no time does scripture suggest that offerings work automatically as if the worshiper's faith and contribution did not matter. That's because fundamentally Cain's bad heart can be seen in his resentment towards his brother and in his uncooperative answers to God and the rest of the word of God. Several New Testament texts derive legitimate inferences from this narrative, namely that Cain demonstrated an evil heart by his evil deeds, while Abel demonstrated a pious heart by his righteous deeds, like that in 1 John 3, 2. And that Abel offered a sacrifice by faith and was commended as righteous, and for that reason we see this in Hebrews eleven four, Genesis 4, 5 through 7. Now, the Lord's word, it challenges Cain to do better. He still has a possibility of turning evidently with God's help to please the Lord. And yet to succeed in doing this, he must overcome the domination of sin presented here as a wild beast seeking to devour Cain. In Genesis 4.8, we, we see the brevity of the report of Abel's murder. It underlines the coldness of Cain's action. Jealousy probably coupled with anger at God caused him to slay his own brother without pity. The heinousness of this spiteful murder reveals that sin has mastered Cain. Uh, in Genesis 4.9, with the words, Am I my brother's keeper? That's because when the Lord confronts Cain with his crime, his cold-hearted nature causes him to deny any knowledge about his brother. Cain shows no signs of remorse, is what I'm talking about. Genesis 4, 10 through 12, that's where Cain's punishment is leaked to his crime. He will no longer be able to cultivate the soil, as we see in verses 11 through 12, because his brother's blood cries out to God from the ground, as we see in verse 10. 
Cain's sentence adds to the alienation between the man and the ground that was introduced in Genesis 3, 17-18. And underlining these punishments is a principle that recurs throughout the Word of God. Human sin has a bearing on the fertility of the earth. Whereas God intended humanity to enjoy the earth's bounty, sin distances people not only from God himself, but also from nature. Genesis 4.10 is likely the background for the New Testament use of the phrase the blood of Abel as the paradigm for an innocent victim crying for justice as we see in Matthew 23.35, Luke 11.51, and Hebrews 12.24. Hebrews 4.13-16. This is where Cain is immediately conscious of the severity of his punishment. He is to be alienated both from the ground and from the Lord. And while this may seem like a very lenient sentence, it meant that Cain would become a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, as we see in verse 14 of this chapter. And and further, the reader is not told who those others might be. And by way of reassuring Cain, the Lord states that the sevenfold vengeance will come on anyone who kills him in verse 15 of this chapter. The Lord put a mark on Cain. Well, this is this is a matter of much scholarly speculation. That is, the precise matter of the mark, though, is uncertain. It, it must have been something visible, though, we can say, but that is all that can be said. Like, like his parents who were set out of the garden, Cain is forced to move away from the presence of the Lord. And Moses here, the writer of Genesis, seems to be implying that this is true of Cain's offspring also, since verses 17 through 24 lack any mention of God. And so, presumably, Cain can move farther to the east of Eden, as verse uh, 16 says. Now, Cain settles in a region that is known approximately as Nod. The location is unknown, which in Hebrew, though, means wandering. Uh, let's look at uh, Genesis four seventeen through 24. And these verses provide selective information about Cain's descendants, concluding with the description of Lamech in verse 19, who boasts of having taken revenge 77-fold uh, by killing a man who wounded him. Seven generations on from Cain, Lamech resembles his ancestor, but seems to be worse than his ancestor. Now let's look at verse 17. Cain knew his wife. Now, no explanation here is given as to the origin of Cain's wife. As is often the case in Genesis, the information is limited and the selective nature of the account, it leaves the reader with unanswered questions. But presumably Cain married his sister, a reasonable assumption since the whole human race descent descends from Adam and Eve and the laws later forbidding this practice, such as Leviticus 18.9, are not relevant at this stage. They had not been given. Now, in verse 7, it says he built a city, and the precise identity of the city is open to debate, we must say. And while Cain would appear to be the builder on the basis that it's named after his son Enoch, the Hebrew text can also be taken as indicating that Enoch was the builder. And although the opening two chapters make no specific mention of a city, the earthly readers of Genesis would have assumed that the instruction to fill the earth, it means that humanity would establish a city of cities around and then spreading out from Eden. And while this was part of the design of God to fill the earth, Genesis observes for us that some people engage in city building without any reference to God, as we see in Genesis 11, 1 through 9. 
Now, in Genesis 4, 18-22, seven generations after King Lamech is born, verse 18 says, His immediate descendants are associated with animal breeding, with music, with metalwork, all of which are noteworthy cultural and even technological developments as we see in verses 20-22. And whereas Abel is linked to sheep in verse uh, 2, the herbs of Jabal also include cattle and donkeys and camels in verse 20. Pre-flood genealogies are well attested to in the ancient Near East, in particular Mesopotamia texts. The Sumerian king list uh, records lists of monarchs who ruled the land before the Great Deluge. And the founding of cities was one of the primary industries of these pre-flood rulers. Such parallels confirm the historicity of the biblical pre-flood account. Now, in Genesis 4, 23-24, the new developments in verse 22, through 22 are overshadowed by Lamech's boast of having killed a man for wounding or striking him in verse 23. Lamech's response is out of proportion for the injury showing his ornate vengefulness. This, like his bigamy in verse 19, reveals his depravity. His behavior reveals that the line of Cain is dominated by those who have no regard for the lives of others or respect for the principle of monogamy, that is, uh, marriage between one man and one woman for life under God, that Genesis 2, 23-24 endorses. And later laws in the books of the law, they insist on proportional judgment in the case of murder, a maximum of life for life in Exodus 21, 23. Sevenfold, 77-fold. And here Lamech is boasting of his vengeful passion that makes him safer than Cain in verse 15, who had protection only from God. And so 77-fold is a picturesque statement for the extravagant excesses. Genesis 4, 25-26. The final verses of this section, they suddenly take us back to Adam and Eve in order to report the birth of their third son, Seth. Eve's remark, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, it's an allusion back to the offspring of the woman in Genesis 3.15. The potential of Seth's birth is immediately underlined by the observation that at that time people began to call upon the name of the Lord, meaning they began to seek him in public worship. And the details of this are not given, but the implication may be that calling on the Lord's name began in Adam's own family circle. So, uh, before we end today's episode, I want to ask you a few questions. So first, what stood out to you in Genesis uh, 4? Second, what what about sin in your own life is crouching at the door? What what sin is that? Uh, even as a Christian, you've been, you've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and yet you are to fight against sin. And what that means is you are to put it death because, to death because you, uh, Romans 6.11 says, to consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. That is putting our sin to death. It's a matter of obedience to God because of the grace of God that has saved us. In John 14, 15, uh, Jesus says this, If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And the commandments, Jesus says, as we'll see in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, are not burdensome. And so what in your life, what sins in your life are crouching at the door and threatening to overtake you? Because as a Christian, you have been bought at the cost of the Son of God and the Son of Man. And so you, because of your union with Christ, because of your identity with Christ, you can put sin to death. 
And maybe today you need to think about, do I need to seek help? Uh, Titus 2 talks about that. So if you're a woman, you need an older woman to come alongside of you, a trustworthy woman who is grounded in, in sound theology and in the Word of God, and it can help you. If you're a man, you need, uh, then Titus 2 tells us, you need an older man to walk alongside of you who is grounded in good theology and in the Word of God. So, so be thinking about that and also be thinking about, you know, maybe talking about with your pastor about those things uh, because they matter. It matters that we walk this walk of faith out by the grace of God, with the help of his grace, through the help of his spirit and with the help of God's people. Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave. Until tomorrow, may God bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to also like, subscribe, or follow Servants of Grace on Facebook, Instagram, X, or YouTube. We appreciate your support.